0: My name is Will Massey. I'm an assistant professor at Oregon State University. I'm a father of three, and I want Peak 40 Health. Welcome to Peak 40,
1: the podcast that brings you the tips, tactics, and stories for living your best life in midlife. If you're in your mid-30s to 50s, Peak 40 is the place to get actionable advice on the nuances of nutrition, training, recovery, and mindset in midlife. For the full experience, and other valuable resources, register for the Peak 40 weekly newsletter at drbubs.com forward slash peak 40 to enhance your lifestyle and start making midlife your best life. Welcome back or welcome to the Peak 40 podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bubs, and today we're going to be talking all about movement. Now, this is something that is a pillar in how I support my clients and athletes is that movement is so important for our physical and mental health. But in today's episode, Assistant Professor at the College of Public Health and Human Sciences at Oregon State University, Dr. William Massey, is going to talk to us all about the connection between movement, childhood development, and recess. So this is something that has been on my mind for a while, and the COVID situation has amplified this. We already have a lack of time for movement and PE and physical education in schools. Now we have COVID-19 over the last year and a half and even less movement and more sedentary living for young people. And so Dr. Massey, who is an experienced researcher, educator, and consultant, he's also an active collaborator in educational sport and nonprofit organizations and is a big advocate for sport and play across a lifespan. He's going to talk to us about some of his research on recess quality and how that impacts social and behavioral health in young children. And this is a really fascinating topic, and I think it's one that does not get enough attention when we look at the development of our kids and the importance of movement in that, not just physical, not just mental, but social and behavioral health as well. Before we get started, a quick shout out to Jamison Vitamins, who are sponsoring today's show. The health and wellness of our children is always top of mind. Our children are everything. As a parent, I'll do whatever it takes to support them and help my kids to thrive. Now, in a perfect world, my kids will get all their nutrition from food, but let's be honest, it's not always easy fitting that in, and it's challenging, let's say, when we deal with picky eaters. So Jameson Vitamins is here for the health of your children. Whether your child needs a multivitamin, vitamin D, or additional support with an omega-3, Jameson makes it easy to put the health and wellness of your children first. To support your child's health, you can go to jamesonvitamins.com, use the promo code bubs, B-U-B-B-S, to save 10% off your next order. That's jamesonvitamins.com, use the promo code bubs, and you can save 10% off your next order. If you go to drbubs.com forward slash podcast, you can click that link in the show notes. All right, let's get started my conversation with Dr. William Massey. Enjoy. Enjoy. William, really appreciate you carving out some time today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, listen, I'd love to uh, start with talking about your background. Can you tell us a little bit about your your research background and uh, where you're working at today?
0: Yeah, so um, my my master's and PhD degrees are both in sport and exercise psychology, um, and so my my doctorate degree was actually a bit more focused on performance. And but even even within that, I always knew that. Um, One of my passions, and you know, kind of my eventual return, would be to youth um, and better understanding, you know, child and youth development through sport, movement, and play. And so, um, currently, I'm an assistant professor at Oregon State University, and over the past um, seven or eight years or so, have been doing uh, a lot of my research on um, elementary school-based recess, and so. You know when we think about recess um oftentimes we think of it as you know one of the the better parts of the school day at least you know that's oh, i used to yeah, that's the that's the predominant narrative um in in really over the last uh, 20 years or so the, the research within recess has really been taken over by a public health agenda um, that's been focused on childhood obesity and so you know, this is like one of the few times in the school day where kids get to move. How do we how do we get them to move more? Um, how might we increase physical activity? And so, um, so my work is is actually not quite in that direction, um, but rather. Um, try to look at recess a little bit more critically. And so if we, um, you know, if we take some of the position and policy statements and even like the recess is the best part of the day, um, you know, we, there, there's certainly evidence that recess is good for um, and, and can help with classroom behavior and academics. It mm-hmm. can help with social and emotional development. Um, but but I would caution that it's a depends, And so, um, you know, the, my... My example that I always use: um, if we just focus on our kids being physically active at recess, we we miss a, a really big portion of it. And so, you know, one of the schools that um, we've done research at, where we did collect physical activity data, um, you know, if you put an accelerometer, which is like the device that measures physical activity, on a kid, and you send them out to recess, and they go out there um, and they they fight like fist fight. Um, you know there's just like a big group fight for 15 minutes well yeah. like when you get that data back <laughs> like they were really active you know yeah. fight, like it's the ridiculous. kind of activity we're after then um, but they go back into the classroom completely dysregulated you know like they're they're upset they're um, you, they don't feel safe um, and so that's um, it, it's a hard argue, argument to make that that's gonna be good for their social development, their emotional development, their classroom behavior, and their academic performance. And so what we started to look at is is kind of what's happening on the playground and and how we might better understand and conceptualize quality of recess um, Mm -hmm. and thinking about not just recess as this kind of driver of child development, but rather a quality recess as a driver of child development.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating work on recess quality and physical activity, and of course, the social and behavioral health side. Maybe we can start with the physical activity side. I mean, it is it is pretty staggering that, you know, only seven out of the 50 U.S. states require daily recess for children during the school day. I mean, that's, that's mind-boggling, and there actually isn't any real policy in most places. What is it? 22% require daily recess for elementary school students um, in, in various school districts many of which have less than 20 minutes a day. You know, when we look at this, it, it always seems that people in the lower income brackets are gonna be most uh, hit with this in terms of being able to then, you know, potentially you know, benefiting more from it. Cause obviously oftentimes in urban settings, can you talk a little bit about some of that work you did on recess quality and physical
0: activity? Yeah, well, let, um... I'll I'll start if that's okay with some of the the policy or lack thereof. Yeah, uh, because you know to your point that that is what the research shows is that um, kids in urban areas, kids in lower um, socioeconomic areas, and then um, kids who attend schools with a higher proportion of minority students are the ones who who get less recess. Um, and I think we can make a lot of arguments that particularly when we're thinking about a high quality recess, those are the kids that need it the most. Um, and so, you know, there's there's kind of your big P policies, which don't exist um, for the most part, other than those, you know, seven states. And then there's the, the little P policies that happen a little bit more at the school level. And, um, you know, I think across the board, despite the lack of policy, I do think at least, you know, from kind of what we've seen in, um, some movements that are happening. A, a lot of schools will have recess on the books. Um, you know, and a lot of schools will have like a 20 minute period where mm-hmm. kids can get outside. It, and so like one, I would argue that like, that's just not simply enough. Like we can't, we can't expect our kids to be in school for six and a half, seven hours and get 20 minutes outside. Um, yeah. to me, just like it's, in, it's insanity. Um, wouldn't even be allowed in the workplace, would it? Yeah. Like as an adult, like I can't do that. (laughs) um, And so, so certainly I think we need to do better um, with that. But, but the other part of that is, you know, you might have 20 minutes on the books, but that doesn't mean that kids are getting 20 minutes and that doesn't mean that all kids are getting 20 minutes. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, we know that that recess is still, Um, you know, there's a lot of teachers in schools that take a carrot and a stick approach to it. And, you know, if, if you're good and you do your work, you can go out. And if, if you didn't do your work or if you're misbehaving, you can't. Um, and so again, that, that disproportionately affects, um, certain population of children, um, minority boy students are among kind of the, the most likely students to be disciplined in school. Um, There's not a lot of data on like, who's the most likely to to lose recess. But if we think about who's the most likely to be disciplined, um, it's probably not a stretch to think that they would be the most likely to lose recess as well. Uh, And so again, like it just like, it it translates into a massive equity issue um, when we're thinking about that. Um, You know, we've been, in terms of the the research that I do, we do a lot of observational research. And so, you know, we've been at schools with, you get the 20 minute block on the books, but when you kind of translate it into reality, it's, it's like seven or eight minutes outside a day. Right. Wow.
1: Um, and is that just the time spent organizing, going out and organizing, going in
0: or, or what? Yeah. Like that can be part of it. Um, certainly like in your colder States um, in the winter, right. Like it, it takes a little bit of time getting I in and have. out. Yeah. <laughs> um or like upper midwest or east coast in the us um and and you know so there's that piece of it but you know there's also like a lesson might go long or you know a teacher might hold the class back because they didn't think they were behaving uh, appropriately and so you know, I like my my argument to to teachers in schools is really just kind of like you're you're cutting off your foot on that one because if you want your kids to be regulated and behave, what they need is outdoor time and movement. Um and if you're if you're restricting that as a function of punishment, like you're not going to get them to where you want them to be. Um, you know, in a lot of ways it's like if if they can't regulate themselves in the classroom, we need to get them outside sooner and more. And yeah,
1: to be able to to be able to get blew off that steam and, and decompress and, and be able to improve behavior and I was you know years ago I actually taught in a school in the south of France and it was a okay. multilingual school and you know growing up I played a lot of sport at recess in this school we'd have a lot of kids playing sport and then there would be kids who didn't want to play soccer or basketball and so those kids who were playing sport had a lot more activity than some of the other kids and you know, interestingly, when we changed up some of the warm-ups and made it more like dance or gymnastic oriented, we tended to get a different effect on who's participating and who isn't. I thought it was, you know, in your work, I thought it really interesting around just, the, you know, the playground equipment. Again, the, the resources that go into how much money we can spend and then how the changing of the equipment can actually change who who is moving and how much movement we're getting from kids. right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so if, if we think about that angle, um, one piece, I'll go into that. I just want to circle back to that last point. Is sure. uh, is, is then when you have the, the other kind of factor in there is when you have like a really bad or a poor quality recess where kids are fighting and it's kind of chaos and kids come back into the classroom worse off than when, when they Wait, left. Yeah. That becomes another avenue for teachers to say, this isn't working, it's not worth it. I'm not going to send my kids out there because they come back and they're, you know, they're all not, yeah, they're not calm, they're not ready to learn. Um, and so that's where I think that intersection of like, not having enough and having poor quality really becomes detrimental because now schools will just take it away. Um, yeah. So if you point. think about, if you think about the playground, you know, <laughs> my, my rule of thumb that has no real evidence to support it is like, no matter where you go, Um, and no matter what the situation, there's going to be at least half of the kids at recess who are really active. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and normally research, um, has, has kind of shown pretty consistently, you know, across us, Canada, Denmark, Finland, Australia, um, that it's the, it's the older athletic boys who tend to dominate the space and equipment um and you know, those are the ones who are normally just like they're gonna find a way to be active no matter what. And so so we also have to think about well, well, how do we bring in that other half that's either intimidated by that group or is not used to being active or maybe doesn't know what to do And so I think a lot of how we design the playground and, and the types of things that we have out there can really help um determine, the level of engagement that we get, right? If you only have opportunity, like if you only have a couple of balls in a sport field, well, that's gonna marginalize and exclude a lot of kids. Yeah. Uh, and and I think one of the things too is like, if that's like the central piece of the playground, what will happen is those kids will kind of take it and then they'll kind of like expand it and grow it until it's like the whole playground. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so sometimes it might be as simple as like making sure that that right when you come out, there's some kind of lower level, non-competitive movement type options for kids, right? And like the, the more intense sports are kind of to the back, right? So like you got to kind of work to get there and the kids who are going to want to play those are going to work to get there. Yeah. Um, and then they're going to be not in the middle of kind of like expanding their game and taking over the space where everybody else is playing. Um,
1: so that's a really interesting know, point. But what are some of the other examples of some of those, you know, easy accessible things that kids is it jump ropes, is it, uh, you know, uh, other forms of activities? What what would be some options there?
0: Yeah, I think you know, you jump ropes and hula hoops are kind of some standard playground yeah. equipment. One thing about jump ropes and hula hoops, um, and again, I think this goes into recess quality is is they they will very often. Um, just kind of sit on the rack or on the ground, however they're laid out. Um, and the moment one of your teachers or educational assistants who are at recess, go over and pick one up and start wow. using it, you're gonna get about 20 kids that are instantly, there doing it with them. That's amazing. And, uh, and so, you know, we always advocate and our, our data shows that adults are actually a really important entity on the playground. Um, and there's some pushback to that because people say like, well, it's supposed to be a kid's time. And it's like, yeah, but the adults do kind of dictate the schedule and the equipment and the rules and the expectations. Um, but, but my take on it and, and what our data shows is that when adults actually just kind of like hop in and engage um they're going to bring kids along with them right so there's always that like teacher at recess that everybody loves and if they they jumped into the games
1: and yeah the relationships form that much better and for sure yeah
0: so when they start jump roping a lot of other kids start jump roping Um, i think that's one i think having um you know something as simple as like chalk near the door where if kids want to just express themselves that way on the ground they can um music is popular at recess so if you have you know If you just put out a a phone or a small bluetooth speaker like you're probably going to get kids who come out and dance um there was one school we were at it was an urban school um and and there is a a female teacher who came out and she led a dance group with the female students and i mean there were 30 of them out there doing like um really good physical activity coordinated movement Um, you know they didn't have to but but they wanted to because you had like a teacher they were connected with leading it. And it was an, like, it was an option just for them. Um
1: so yeah, so you the, get that internal motivation, driving things rather than having to say, Hey, this is when you're supposed to yeah. dance. This is when you're supposed to play basketball
0: or whatnot. Yeah. And you just kind of start to see, like, you start to see the trickle, up, right? Like it might start with five girls and then you start to see like, more just kind of like slowly coming over slowly coming over and by the end there's 25 and so you know I think those are all um, just like small ways that you can think about diversifying what's out there and, and what kids are doing. Yeah I mean that role of of
1: the teachers and the parents at, at recess or in the schools you know can you talk a little bit about, about that in terms of you know depending on the size of the classes that are going out is there a certain number of of teachers or adults that benefits or what does the research tell us there?
0: So, you know, just in in terms of ratios, I think it's, you know, what's the size and shape of your playground? Like how dynamic is it? How many um, just challenging spots are there, right? Because there are, um, In a lot of times it's at like the big competitive sport area where it's like, you know, you want to have, an adult close by. And my take on it is, like, you want to have an adult playing in that game um, because what kids don't want is adults standing there shouting like the rules at them. They want to just go and play. Um, yeah. But what will happen is, like, you know, let's say you have a soccer game and you have your, you know, one of your young and still athletic and super fun teachers out there <laughs> playing soccer. The kids aren't gonna like stop the game to argue. Um, the teacher there the teacher doesn't have to control it they don't have to make the rules they don't have to enforce the rules but a lot of times just like by their presence of playing um things will just smooth out right like the, the the two kids who are hyper competitive and need control aren't gonna like butt heads as much because their favorite teacher's playing um so those are just all considerations
1: tremendous and for folks listening in who are practitioners or doctors who are interested in you know how you rate you know a low or a high quality um recess you know, what was the, the framework that you used
0: yeah so we put together a tool um we called it the great recess framework it's um the the one thing about it is is it's really normed for and was created for um elementary schools in the u.s that are in urban environments and so um the, a lot of the work was developed when I was in the Midwest, um, you know, and we worked in a lot of Midwestern and East coast cities. Um, so some of the things that we look at are the the space itself, um, and just like general level of safety in the space. Um, my team has found, like, if you name it, we found it on a playground and not in the best way. Um, So like shattered glass is a common one. Um, Use drug needles, use condoms, um, you know, like beer cans and bottle, alcohol bottles. Um, And so like on a really basic level, we look at is the playground safe for kids to be out there? And another thing we looked at, like we've talked about is, you know, are there um, a lot of diverse options for kids to play? And so the... The lens that I train my students to look at is, or look through, is if you were a kid um, and you walked out onto the playground, like, is it pretty feasible for you to say, like, there's something for me to do here? If I wanted to do something, I could is kind of like the, um, the lens that we to, to look through. And we have some specific scoring criteria. Um, but you know, if there's like no jungle gym, no play space and three balls, like usually the answer to that is going to be probably not. Um, but if there's a whole host of different types of equipment and play and games going on, it's pretty easy to see like, yeah, I could, I could hop in and find something to do. Um, so that's another thing we look at. We look at, um, the adults and so Kind of like we've talked about, we look at how many are out there. We look at their spacing. Are they um, are they out there? Kind of engaging and moving around with the kids, or are they huddled by the door with their backs turned? We look at um, you know, and then their like level of engagement. Are they are they supporting play? Are they hopping in and engaging with students? Are they modeling the culture that? essentially they're expecting out of the kids Um, and then you know we look at the kids do they have autonomy are they allowed to do whatever they want are there you know is it obvious that there's policies and practices where they're being told to sit out or not allowed to to come out to recess right so that would kind of score down the quality Um, we look at if there are physical altercations Um, so it doesn't have to be a fight per se one of my examples of like a non big fight altercation is like kid takes a jump rope and whips another kid in the back of the legs with it. Think of that as a physical altercation. Like I'm assuming the other kid doesn't want to be whipped with a jump rope. Yeah. Um, so we look at the prevalence of it, you know, like, like is it happening in one specific area of the playground all across the playground? Is it like once or twice during a recess, or is it like every time you turn, you see something like that, but yeah, you know, Go
1: ahead. I was just going to say, well, if we shift gears to that recess quality and the impact on some of the social and behavioral health, we've touched on it already. But you know, in your one of your most recent papers, touching on how it does significantly predict things like, you know, executive functioning issues, increased resilience, emotional self-control.
0: Yeah, so um, like you mentioned in, in a recent paper we did, we went, we were in four different parts of the country. Um, we observed recess at a lot of schools, a lot of different recess sessions, uh, and all of them were schools that kind of fell into that kind of Title I low-income bucket. And so we wanted to make sure we weren't just comparing like the resources of a wealthy school to the resources of a school that might be more limited. Um, and so, you know, we know that executive functioning is is really important to success in school. It's one of the, um, you know, one of the early predictors of academic success. It's a big focus of, um, you know, preschool and kind of like pre-primary education because, you know, those executive functioning skills are, um, they're predictive of, of your success through school. And so it's you know, it's the ability to control impulses and it's the ability to be cognitively flexible and um, hold different things in your working memory. Um, And so, you know, separate from your cognitive abilities, but in a lot of ways, like the the function and capacity to use those cognitive abilities successfully throughout the day. Um, And so in our work, we saw significant correlations between the quality of the recess and the teachers reported Um, you know, problems with executive functioning that they saw in the classroom. So essentially when when recess was of higher quality, um, teachers were concurrently reporting that their students were having less issues of impulsivity and lack of cognitive flexibility in the classroom.
1: You know, again, if we circle back, resilience, emotional self-control, these are traits that are incredibly important in life. Can you talk a bit about what you found there?
0: Yeah. Well, in um just a little bit of a soapbox, I think <laughs> we um <laughs> we and this isn't specific to our findings, but you know, especially now like as kids come back from COVID, you you are seeing more and more focus on like the social and emotional side of education, right? And and there's this big push um at least in the US around what can we do to help support the social and emotional well-being and development of students as we've lived through a pandemic and lots of trauma. And um, you know, we know how that affects the brain. And we know that if kids have high levels of distress or are experiencing trauma, that their brains are going to be um, you know, the wiring and the neural networks that help them to learn aren't going to be activated. Um, and so, you know, at the same time, we're in, you know, what, a 30 year now stretch where we've systematically cut and taken out art, music, PE and recess. So if we think about like holistic element of social and emotional and academic, like, um, you know, I hope that this is a time where we say like, wow, like all of those things that we said aren't as important as, as academics, like really, really are. And, and they, they need to kind of come together in a symbiotic relationship again, where, we have art and creative expression, music and creative expression and movement through PE and recess. Um, And and I think that's where we'll start to see even higher levels of some of the things we found in our research like um, emotional self-control and resilience and positive behavioral adaptations in the classroom.
1: Yeah, I I was gonna touch on the COVID aspect of this because obviously we already have kids not moving enough or having high quality enough movement recess in school. And now we're layering on being st- stuck at home in front of a screen. And, uh, you know, we didn't really touch on the difference between boys and girls there at recess, which I know there's a little bit of um, in regards to games and, and whatnot, but even uh, in regards to learning on the screen is obviously very different between those. I've got three girls at home. Uh, yeah. My friends and clients with boys would say that this is a very different experience with an eight-year-old girl versus boy. Uh, mm-hmm. Could you touch on, uh, yeah, how, how that, you've touched on it there a little bit but the impact there and and the importance if we are stuck at home to be able to find some outside time for them as well
0: yeah um and and the data from across the world has shown that kids have been less active since the covid pandemic started um you know and certainly some of that is quarantining and staying inside but like initially right like public parks were closed and yeah uh, i think you know if Again, if, if you're in an urban area, that that's kind of your go to um, for outside time, you might not have a yard to play in. Um, so, so certainly we've seen that. Um, you know, the, from what we've seen in schools, here in Oregon since kids have come back is, you know, just kind of there has been a challenge in re-entry and there have been some challenges out at recess just in terms of like, especially the younger kids, like knowing how to play and interact with each other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kids who are in first grade now who can functionally didn't have kindergarten, um, you know, we've seen areas where they are struggling a bit more because they haven't had, you know, kind of the the social training that they would get. Um, As a function of like being in a classroom and playing with others and learning through play. Uh, So I think that's problematic, Um, you know, certainly from from my own experience, having three kids through this all like we had days where um, my youngest, so she was in kindergarten last year and like she just couldn't like she would get so mad and there's like one day where she just took her iPad and just like chucked it across the room. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, you know, like good for you. Yeah. Um, It's like, this is not how it's supposed to work. Yeah. And it's just, it's not. It should be at school. We would would just, we like very often we would just shut it down and say like, yeah, we're not turning screens on today. And you know, there were days where, um, you know, I would make them a list of things outside and we're fortunate that I could just kind of let them go off and wander. And there were days where they, um, we have like these big cinder block steps in our backyard. They're not steps, but they're just like three big blocks. And I'd flip them over and they'd spend two hours finding different types of bugs underneath them. Yeah, uh, nice. And and you know, they learned more and were more regulated and were more just kind of put together on days like that than any day we tried to put them in front of a screen to to learn. Right? And if you think of If you think of education models across the world, like anytime we're talking about recess, I think we want to point to the Scandinavian countries and, um, you know, they have a strong philosophy towards like play is learning um, throughout childhood. And we're going to spend time outside and we're going to spend time in nature. And even if it's cold and snowy, like we're going to just suit up and get out there. Get out there. um, You know, and they have some of the best educational outcomes in the world.
1: That's fascinating, fascinating stuff. you know, if we take that sort of 30,000 foot view as a, as a researcher else, as a, a parent and a dad, what are some of those other areas that you find, um, help with kids to be able to get into that space where they're best able to have that prefrontal cortex firing?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, a, a safe, loving, caring adult is kind of top of the list. Um, you know, and there's, I think there's been a little bit more pushback recently, you know, we, we tried to take touch out of school. Um, right and and certainly then you know there are reasons for that and mm-hmm. uh, but but if you think about like a child they weren't meant to not be touched all day like a young developing child like they need they need physical touch um, yeah. as a part of like their development and attachment and so like um, you know anytime a teacher can give again like appropriately loving yep. hug yep. arm mm-hmm. on the shoulder um like those are going to be great for kids um physical movement is is another like you know the body regulates itself through patterned repetitive movement and and recess is full of that um right but even in the classroom like if we just took a break to do something that had some um like patterned movement and it's going to be good to help kind of calm and regulate kids um and then you know if we think of like it, other other outlets that kind of mentioned that are kind of creative um you know and again they kind of fall into that like that patterned and repetitive um if you think about from from like really early roots right when kids are um in utero like they're being regulated by a mother's heartbeat right so they're warm and they're fed and and everything's great right and it's
1: a nice white noise
0: <laughs> exactly. like any, anytime we can do something on a beat um like in, intrinsically for some of those lower brain structures is going to be helpful and so mm-hmm. you know, drawing kind of like fills that um any type of music fills that any type of um you know if you're jump roping or you're hula hooping you're kind of you're moving at that rhythm um, yeah that's, right? that's great like when you get stressed or if you have to really go to the bathroom you start to rock <laughs> Right, <laughs> um, to, to make could do that, it's that it's that movement, right? So they have to go to the bathroom, and so like their system is kind of trying to override them. Like there's there's stress there, and biologically, like the systems are off. There's disequilibrium. so they try to rock to get back into it. Um, so if we start to think about incorporating those things throughout the day, that's going to help.
1: That's tremendous, and uh, Willis, so I really really appreciate you carving out some time today if we think about the evolution of this area of research for yourself what are some of the things that you're looking at uh in the next few years
0: yeah so um one of the things we've started to think about um and and we're we're kind of starting it's you know everything we we had great momentum two years ago and our work and everything has just been
1: yeah i guess with our, COVID,
0: right? and there's, there's still a lot of schools that aren't letting visitors in the building um so it makes it challenging. But one of the things we're thinking about is how do we create a a regulated recess, right? So a recess that becomes very um, regulating for those brain structures for kids. And so some of that is like, you know, if we think of, if we think of kids on a spectrum of like stress and stress tolerance, how do we design a playground where there's activities represented for like any type of like physiological state a kid is in that can help kind of um, bring their system into equilibrium. So, you know, it might be like really creative areas, um, like loose parts and blocks and things like that for the kids who are ready to be creative. And it might be more of like a walking track for kids who, who might need some of that more like pattern repetitive movement to kind of like calm the, the nervous system down so that they can engage in higher order learning and thinking. Um, um, so we, we've started to kind of play with that a little bit, um, how do how do we do that? How do we do it in a way that matches, you know, any social and emotional learning initiatives that, that the school is doing in the classroom. So we certainly want a level of synchrony between like, um, what they're learning in the classroom and then what the environment allows them to explore, practice and hone in on at recess. Um, I'm a big proponent of, you know, we don't, Recess isn't, we talk about it as like a place to learn social skills. I, I would argue it's a place to practice skills. Um, nice. And, and certainly we can learn through practice, but if we don't have those skills when we go out there, we're not going to learn them on the fly with, you know, 100 kids screaming and running around. Yeah. For sure. uh, so, so how do we take what's happening throughout other parts of the school day and make sure that while recess is still a time where it's a child's time and they have autonomy and they can choose and do whatever they want, um, we give them opportunities to, um, like we we structure the environment in a way to allow them to be successful in, in applying the skills that they've learned. So that's kind of, yeah. Um, what we're thinking about now and what we're hoping for in the future
1: you know really really fascinating work so appreciate you carrying out some time where can people stay connected with you or keep up with your tremendous research
0: gosh i'm terrible at like social media so we um we do have a lab account on twitter and instagram at Two Play Lab OSU is our um, is our handle there. There's a link to to our lab website there, and we're pretty up to date on that in terms of recent publications. And um, if I could leave you with one thing, if you do have a lot of parent listeners out there, um, parents are the key to policy changes in schools. Um, where we've seen the states in the U.S. actually pass legislation to mandate recess, it's been the parents all the way. So if you're a parent and you've seen the the need for your child to move over the last two years through the day, um, you are the key to change.
1: Awesome. Well, this is a perfect time to galvanize that, I think. So I uh, appreciate the time again, Will.
0: Yep. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to the Peak 40 podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It's a very big help to the show. Got a question? follow at Dr. Bubs on Instagram and send me a note in the comment section or hit reply to our weekly Peak 40 newsletter. The Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcasts.